welcome, welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I am your host. Today's episode, we've got Andrew Howard on the hot seat and he is talking all things Bitcoin. And there couldn't be a better time to have him unpack this because Bitcoin has been going cray cray lately, right? And should this be something we as families should be investing in? In Andrew's view, Absolutely, yes. He believes that cryptocurrencies are a sustainable and long-term solution, not only to the challenges that the world faces, but also to family offices and family business owners. He believes that they, they give unrivaled advantages to other asset classes, and they should be something that we should all be considering. So tune in, enjoy, and take care. Hi, Andrew. It's awesome to have you today on The Connected Generation. Welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, looking forward to talking about this weird, magical internet money with you called Bitcoin. <laughs> it is very weird. I must say the first time I heard about it, I was like, I don't really understand what is Bitcoin. But before we start unpacking cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and why you're so passionate about this, let's hear more about your journey to coming to where you are now. How did you get to become this Bitcoin expert? Sure. So uh, it starts from a few years ago, like late late 2016, early 2017. Uh, and late 2017 was when Bitcoin had its, its last bull run when it hit $20,000 and had a low of that cycle of, you know, under $1,000, which was very impressive. Um. But I actually served in the Marine Corps for three years active duty. And uh, I joined right after high school. And um, I picked up a book called The Creature from Jekyll Island. And basically what that book talks about is the Federal Reserve's inception and how basically the Federal Reserve, you know, the Central Bank of the United States was created. Um, and it may sound like some sort of a conspiracy theory, but this is all publicly verifiable information. Basically, uh, the Federal Reserve was founded by six very, very wealthy, very highly politically and financially connected individuals. So some were from uh, J.P. Morgan. There was a senator <laughs> at the time. Um, a couple of bankers from Europe, and essentially, what happened is. They all uh, anonymously hopped on a train and took separate cars or separate cabins in that train and went to this island off of the coast of Georgia in the United States called Jekyll Island. And they used their first names because if they used their last names, then it would be very suspicious if all of these people were grouped together going to have a meeting. Mm. Um, so they used their first names. They didn't want, want the press uh, involved at all. They didn't, didn't want people knowing that they would meet essentially in C for C. Wow. And uh, this is in 1911 or 1912. So a long time ago. And they had this meeting and basically created the name Federal Reserve uh, because America had, well, basically there had already been uh, legislative attempts to get a central bank in America at the time, but it didn't succeed because the people did not want a central bank. So what they did is they created the name Federal Reserve, which is in itself 
very contradicting because it's not, it's actually not a federal entity mm. and they have no reserves. <laughs> so it's, it's a very interesting name. Um, and long story short, they came up with this name. They came up with the Federal Reserve Act. And two days before Christmas in 1913, the Federal Reserve Act was signed. And I don't know about you, but two days before Christmas, most people aren't, aren't really very active. They're usually with their families at home, mm -hmm. enjoying their time. So pretty good time for them to pass that law. So anyways, that's, that's how I found out about how the Federal Reserve was uh, started. And it's a pretty big book. And I read on and on and I pretty much discovered that, uh, you know, central banking happens to, I would say, financially uh, hurt your average person. And the reason why is they, they come up with the, these very fancy terms for all of the economic policies that they, they create. So one example uh, is the term quantitative easing, which mm -hmm. I'm sure you're probably familiar yeah. with that term. Yeah. Okay. It's basically a very fancy way of saying we're going to print up a bunch of money out of thin air and pay for things uh, with it. That's one mm -hmm. state of using. Um, another kind of funny, fancy word that they use is fractional reserve banking. Mm -hmm. And essentially what fractional reserve banking means is when the bank has the ability to loan out more money than they actually have themselves. So they're actually creating more money when they loan it out. And um, so anyways, I, I, I discovered that about central banking. I got really interested in, in how uh, the monetary system works. And, uh, you know, at the time I was active duty in the Marine Corps. And I, I also learned about things like the Iraq war costing $6 trillion. And, um, you know, I, I've had kind of a, a different perspective since I've been out of the Marine Corps and, uh, you know, I, I think that's something that, frankly, we should not have been involved in at all in the U.S. And the fact that... The do you mean the Iraq war or do you mean the... Yeah. Yeah, the Iraq war. I do. All war. I mean, in my humble opinion. But um, yeah, you know, and, and the reason that they do that is because if, if the government went around and said, we're going to tax you a ton of money so we can go to this war halfway across the world and, and you know, basically wreck wrecked an entire society, people wouldn't want to pay for it, mm. right? But if they can just have that money printed out of thin air and pay for bombs, pay for tanks, uniforms, all that, then they're going to do it. So all in all, I, I, I realized that, you know, fractional reserve banking, quantitative easing, central banking, all of this uh, benefits a very small group of people and hurts the majority of people on this planet. Um, so once I realized that, I uh, got out of the military. I bought Bitcoin uh, in around 2016, 2017, when it was about $1,500. Wow. Uh, so I got in, yeah, I got in pretty early. Pretty early. Um, and I haven't sold it since. I've hung on to it since. And that's one thing we can discuss later on is the fact that you should never uh, sell your Bitcoin. So all in all, that's my story of how I got uh, interested in this. And I, I truly believe that Bitcoin is uh, a really world-changing innovation that, that has very recently happened. Incredible. Incredible. And... 
I saw on LinkedIn that you wrote that Bitcoin is nothing less than a financial revolution. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So, okay. So this is, this is a really fun way I love to explain Bitcoin. Okay. So let's think about uh, the money that human beings have had to use for thousands of years, which is called fiat currency. And the Latin fiat is, is actually a Latin word, which means uh, value by decree. Okay. It is because I say it is. And essentially, you know, the, the reason that this paper money that we, we all use that can be created out of thin air has quote value is because the respective government of that paper money says that it has value. Um, and I, I compare it to basically, okay, let's say if there was only one uh, manufacturer that produced cars, there was only one company where we could buy cars from. They would have no competition. And as a result of them having monopoly on the market, we would have some really bad cars. We would have a car that doesn't last a long time. We would have a, a really high price for the car. We would have really poor customer service. They wouldn't have to have a good product for us because they have no competition. This is literally the state of money, okay? Or at least has been for thousands of years. We've had no other option than to use government mandated money, fiat currency. And fiat currency is pretty bad. You know, I mean, the US dollar has lost about 98% of its value since the Federal Reserve's inception in 1913. That's a wow. pretty rapid loss, hmm. you know? And um, culturally, that really affects things a lot too, because, you know, 50, 60 years ago, I'll speak for America at least, but generally other countries fall in in this category as well, it was a lot easier for people to survive. You know, they wouldn't have to work nearly as much as they have to work now. Mm -hmm. You could spend more time with your family. You could have a nicer life. And that's because it was easier for people to save their hard-earned money without their money losing all of its value. And um, so basically we have the birth, Bitcoin is the birth of uh, essentially humanity's first competition to this monopoly that they've had for such a long time that's responsible for cultural degradation, for war, for, you know, all of this excess spending that we have. And, you know, it's a pretty crazy situation we're in because, you know, according to the uh, Institute of International Finance, uh, the world is about $280 trillion in global debt right now, which wow. you know, it's a really big number. It's almost like too big to even comprehend. Um, but at some point the party is going to have to be over and I hold the opinion that we're getting very close to that point. <laughs> and you hold the opinion that the future is Bitcoin. I do. I do. Um, for a bunch you, of different reasons. Think, yeah. 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 So. I mean, I can have a, a bunch of different answers. I'll say this right now. Bitcoin uh, was first released in 2009. So it's 11 years old, very new asset. Bitcoin went from being ridiculed in the news uh, by a bunch of very well-known investors, by people from JP Morgan, all that. It was basically laughing stock. And right now we have huge multi-billion dollar corporations buying it and family offices and other high net worth individuals. So uh, I'll just go down the list. So the first uh, big corporation that bought Bitcoin was a 
publicly traded company called MicroStrategy. And they're based out of the US. Um, it's one of the largest uh, business intelligence companies on the planet. And they initially bought, I believe it was $250 million in Bitcoin uh, as part of their, wow. their treasury reserve assets. And essentially the process that the CEO went through was he was looking, he, had, he was sitting on $500 million of cash reserves. And uh, if you listen to him, he'll say that basically, you know, I was in a really tough situation because I know that inflation is rapidly increasing right now, because right now, mm-hmm. as you know, I mean, basically the entire world is locked down. People aren't working and, you know, governments are creating money and giving it to people and paying for things. And the economy is not in the greatest situation that it should be right now. Mm. And, uh, you know, he was sitting on all this cash and he saw Bitcoin. He studied Bitcoin quite a lot and realized that, oh, my God, it's an asset that cannot be banned or can be banned, but it can be stopped. It can be inflated. Right. It's the largest computer network on the planet. So it's extremely resilient. And uh, he bought $250 million of Bitcoin. So that was the first one. Wow. After that, we had uh, another big company called Square. And if you're not familiar with, with Square, that's uh, actually Jack Dorsey's company. And Jack mm-hmm. Dorsey is the CEO of Twitter. Square bought uh, $50 million in Bitcoin. Wow. And their, basically their, their explanation was that, that we believe Bitcoin will be ubiquitous in the future. And we want to start getting involved. Um, so that's 1% of their total assets, which I hold the belief that they're going to increase that quite a lot as time goes on. And uh, after Square, and there are a bunch more, but I'm naming basically the, the most notable. So after Square was last month in December, we had a 170-year-old insurance company in the U.S. with $30 billion in revenue per year called Mass Mutual. It's a pretty well-known company, Mass Mutual in the U.S., and they bought $100 million in Bitcoin. Wow. So that alone, I mean, if you even if you don't believe what I'm saying, you've got these huge corporations right now that are hiring, you know, chief, they have chief technical officers and a bunch of extremely intelligent software engineers analyzing the Bitcoin protocol, analyzing the network, looking at whether or not this is legit, essentially. And they're saying it is, and they believe that it has quite a bit future ahead of it. So... A combination of that uh, with the fact that the world is in unprecedented amounts of debt right now. Um, You know, one, I think, can logically come to the conclusion that, okay, fiat currency does not last forever. Voltaire, you know, the political philosopher from a few hundred years ago, said that all fiat currency reverts to its intrinsic value of zero. And that is essentially the point that we are heading on right now as we speak. So we have this happening. We have multi-billion dollar corporations buying it. We have the rapid price of appreciation in 11 years from $0 to about $37,000 right now where it's at. It hit a new all-time high today. And um, I, I really, I, I, I see the direction that this is heading. So, you know, for family offices especially, you can't just pass down your your savings account to your family because it's going to lose value. But Bitcoin, you can. Bitcoin, you can because it can't be inflated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it holds its value over time. 
you know, so I, I see a very, very positive long-term outlook for Bitcoin. Incredible. And you mentioned, you know, that the price has been on an upward trend. Recently, it's just gone bananas. What is driving this, you know, what's the dynamic, the fundamentals driving this increase in the pricing recently? Yeah, that's a great question. So the last bull market was essentially retail investment, you know, it's normal people downloading an app on their cell phone, linking their debit card in and buying whatever amount of Bitcoin that they wanted. Okay. Uh, that was the 2017 bull run. This bull run, it's been three years since the last one. Okay. Mm. And right now it's essentially institutional FOMO. It's institu institutional fear of missing out. You know, I listed these corporations, uh, I think this is more or less a snowball effect. And right mm -hmm. now, you know, you had, you had normal people buying, you know, $500,000 of Bitcoin, a lot of people, but now you have corporations buying millions of dollars wow. into Bitcoin and it's got a finite supply. So it doesn't take a genius to see, you know, okay, finite supply can't be inflated, increasing demand. Mm -hmm. That's going to result in, in a price appreciation. So um, I would say in a nutshell, that's, that's my answer. And I think we have a long way to go. You know, if you look at um, a company called Guggenheim, it's a big investment company uh, based in the U.S. I believe they have, could be wrong, but off the top of my head, somewhere around $270 billion in total assets. So really big company. Mm -hmm. And their CEO uh, said on the news that they believe it should hit $400,000. Wow. Um, so again, I, I don't know. I'm not going to make any predictions myself or any exact predictions myself, but um, I do know that you have people like that saying that it's gonna balloon up pretty nicely in this bull run. Wow, wow. What common concerns do people like say to you about Bitcoin? Why they're a bit like on the fence about going into it? That's a great question as well. So I would say one of the biggest concerns particularly from family offices, high net worth individuals, uh, is Bitcoin's volatility, which I can absolutely understand their concern for that. Mm -hmm. But I think that the concern is coming from a place of, I don't mean to put anybody down, but it's coming from a place of uh, not that much understanding, basically, because Bitcoin can seem very complicated. So essentially, you see these insane, you know, price fluctuations in Bitcoin. I mean, it's some, it should go 20% in a day. Um, but if you think about it, Bitcoin is a little over 10 years old and it's replacing, in my opinion, it's going to replace gold's market cap. It's going to replace uh, fiat currencies. I believe it's going to be the global reserve currency wow. uh, in the world at some point. You know, I mean, those are pretty big steps that Bitcoin has to take. And right now it's it's having price discovery. You know, it's not, I think it's extremely unrealistic to say that, okay, we have this new amazing piece of technology that came out 10 years ago and I expect it to have perfect, you know, perfect price, not move in, in fluctuation at all. I expect it to maintain the same exact value and the market should discover it immediately. Mm. It's just not possible right now. So mm. right now, you know, the stages that Bitcoin is in, we're in the store of value stage. 
And there are three stages that I think that will take for it to become a global reserve currency. Um, right now we're at the point where people are not laughing at it anymore. It's not really being made fun of, at least not nearly as much. Uh, a lot of high net worth individuals, big corporations are taking it seriously now, they're studying it. And as a result, they're buying it, which is going to lead to volatility in the price. Mm. Um, so that's the first stage is discovery of stored value. I can actually store my hard earned value with this, this online currency. Second stage is Bitcoin being used as medium of exchange, mm-hmm. which makes sense because, you know, okay, let's say, unfortunately, and it, sorry, but it's going to happen. The US dollar or whatever fiat currency of your choice loses its, its value. And you're in a place where your money no longer has value. Like if you look at Venezuela, they're literally throwing it in the trash. Mm-hmm. People need to exchange in something. And logically, somebody is going to say, okay, well, I think Bitcoin has value. You do too. I need something from you. I'll, I'll send you some Bitcoin and you give me the service that I need. So that's the medium of, of exchange. The third step is it being a unit wow. of account, just like the US dollar is or, or any other currency is. Um, and if you look at countries that have uh, essentially the worst inflation and Venezuela is a really hot, hot topic uh, for Bitcoin, they typically have the, the uh, biggest increase in adoption with Bitcoin because these people can actually store their value in something that won't be rapidly inflated yeah like nigeria we've had a lot of inflation and in nigeria i i heard that we're the second largest market for bitcoin and we have the largest premium globally so completely makes sense when you explain it that way lots of people still are kind of mystified by the whole sector and like they don't really understand how it works um, for those that are like, okay, yeah, I'm starting to see that this is the future, but I don't want to go all in and get burnt. What tips do you have for them to, you know, explore this world of Bitcoin? Yeah, so a couple of different answers. I'll say two. The first one is, I think at this point, you know, to look at an asset that is appreciated from $0 to $37,000 in 10 years. I don't think that can be ignored at this point, especially with the corporate involvement. Um, So I would say at this point, it's a little more risky to not have any Bitcoin in your portfolio than to have some Bitcoin in your portfolio. And what a lot of uh, high net worth investors are doing right now is they're at least just having 1% in their portfolio, you know, okay. you know, and uh, having something that appreciates this much in price, even if it's 1% of your portfolio, that's still a rapid gain. So that's one factor. The other factor is uh, it, it's not, it's complicated where, where it seems complicated, but it's really not, it's not rocket science. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people at least understand the core values of Bitcoin, which are that it can't be controlled by a government, right? There's nobody in charge of it. It can't. But that be- makes that makes it nervous for some people. That it can be controlled. Yeah, that there's no regulator. Yes, uh, I agree with that. I agree with that, and that's a big reason. You know, wealth managers are not getting involved right now because they can't recommend it because it's not technically a regulated asset. Hmm. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I understand how that's a concern for people, but my response to that would be, okay, well, what makes you feel better? Having a currency that's controlled by a central bank that where you know it's going to lose its value, it's, it's a fact, even the central bank admits that they want to have a target inflation rate or hmm. have a currency that's that's gained, you know, millions of percent in value in a very small amount of time and has an amazing opportunity to replace and render so many things obsolete. Mm. Um, True point. Yeah. So we're going to get to a point where people can't really ignore it anymore. That's my opinion. Mm. Incredible. And Bitcoin's just one of the many cryptocurrencies that there are. Why do you think Bitcoin is should be the crypto of choice over the others? Well, Okay, so there are uh, approximately over 7,000 different cryptocurrencies right now. Um, if you, you look at the tech sector in general, we can both agree that network effect is paramount to the success of your platform. So we'll use the example of Facebook, right? There are tons of other uh, social media websites, but Facebook is pretty much the most dominant one, at least for you know, the, the services that it provides. You have Instagram and Twitter and all that, that too. Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, when a bunch of people decide to be on a certain platform, it's extremely difficult to get all of those people to be off of Switch. that platform. Yeah. I mean, we can't listen. I mean, I, I frankly, I personally, I don't like Facebook. I don't like the company, but everybody's yeah. using it. And it's one of those things where you either have to not use it at all and not be in this huge network, or you have to use it uh, and be in the network that everybody else is in. So that's a very big factor in tech is uh, network effect. So that's one factor. The other factor is uh, basically a principle in economics, which is that, you know, if you have a bunch of different competing currencies, Ultimately, the way human beings interact with each other is they want to hold and transact in one currency, which makes a lot of sense because, you know, you don't want to hold, I don't want to hold a a currency that John is willing to accept, but Sally isn't, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to hold the currency that everybody's willing to accept. Mm -hmm. And that's not possible with 7,000 different cryptocurrencies. It's, It's going to be ultimately one currency that outcompetes all of the currencies and dominates the market. So that's another thing. Um, I mean, there are other reasons too, like Bitcoin, you know, there, it's not a company and there's nobody in charge of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. There's no CEO of Bitcoin. A lot of these other different cryptocurrencies are extremely risky. Um, they are centrally controlled. So they'll have a company that releases this cryptocurrency. And if you have a company that's in charge of a money, right? What happens when that company faces legal issues or or any sort of issues right you you can't have that so um i mean i could go on and on too i mean bitcoin is is the largest computer network on the planet okay wow. so it's got anywhere from ten thousand to a hundred thousand different nodes right different computers hooking up to the bitcoin network and in order to destroy bitcoin you would either have to do one of two things you would have to shut the entire internet off which i don't think would happen if that does happen, then we have a lot more things to worry about. More problems okay. than Bitcoin. <laughs> more problems than Bitcoin. Yeah. So you'd have to shut the entire internet off or you would have to go everywhere to, 
you know, all these different countries all over the world and find every single node, every single connection to the Bitcoin network and shut it off. Wow. So, okay. I mean, it, it's essentially a bulletproof money. Incredible, incredible. You've really, like, I've been schooled <laughs> on this world <laughs> of Bitcoin. I've learned so much from you. If anyone wants to learn more from you, inquire, get to reach out to you, how best can they contact you? Yeah, so um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, so I have a LinkedIn profile. My name is Andrew Howard. The company I'm with, which will be the best way to find me, is uh, called Bitcoin Reserve. I'm the chief business development officer. So it's pretty easy to remember. I tell people, if you think of Federal Reserve, just <laughs> Place the federal with Bitcoin, and that's our company. So Bitcoin Reserve. Um, and I'm also on Twitter, and my Twitter handle is Andrew underscore J underscore Howard. Um, and I always tell people, you know, even if I, I can't help you with my company, I'm happy to just talk about it, be a resource for people, and, you know, just chat with people about it. Because I think, you know, we're in a very serious situation right now that, unfortunately, most people don't really – take into consideration, you know, mm. we work so hard for this money and the money that we're holding is losing a lot of its value. And family offices are in a very interesting situation right now because they need to know how to pass down their wealth and mm. that can't be done through fiat currencies. So very interesting times we're in. Um, even if Bitcoin drops 30% tomorrow, 50% tomorrow, I will have absolute faith in the long-term effect of Bitcoin 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years from now. Incredible. Thank you so much, Andrew. I've really enjoyed learning from you today. Thanks very much, Nikki. Appreciate it. Awesome. Cheers. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Our world is definitely changing. Our world is changing. Um, we're moving from analog to digital even in terms of currency and with this wave of corporations and ultra high net worth investors looking into Bitcoin, I think it's something we should all consider, right? And we should take a great look at. And interestingly, Nigeria, where I'm from, is the number two Bitcoin market globally and has the highest premium globally. So there's something that Bitcoin provides to investors in Nigeria that is value adding. And as Andrew explained, it's, you know, in terms of inflation, in terms of currency stability, um, and in terms of transparency and speed of transactions. So it poses quite a good option for investors. So I'd encourage you to get in touch with him if it's something that you're curious about and learn more from Andrew. Take care. Thank you. And God bless you.